0: science actually God needs no defense but sometimes we just need to have some things cleared up would you stand with me let's read a couple of passages of scripture from Psalm and from Romans the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech night after night they display knowledge There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And from Romans, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Father, I thank You for Your grace. And Lord, I know that Your Word says that the evil one has blinded the eyes of those in the world. And Lord, I just pray that it, any blindness that is here today would be lifted, would be removed, and the beauty of who you are and what you have done would be revealed to all through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it goes without saying that uh, science can neither conclusively prove nor disprove God. Actually, it can come a whole lot closer to proving than disproving which we're going to be talking about here in a little while but just let me say if you if you start with a solid assumption that the supernatural is impossible just just can't happen can't be then it really doesn't I say it really doesn't matter actually the Holy Spirit can make it matter but by and large it really doesn't matter a whole lot what anybody says or any evidence or any proof because you're always going to go well there's really an explanation I just don't know what it is and really what you are is a scientific fundamentalist And just like those on the religious fundamentalist side that you tend to despise so much You're just the other side of that coin Yeah, because yeah, you, you got some of those religious people out there. It doesn't matter what happens. They're just gonna go. Yeah, I believe I believe in God doesn't matter what and you know what you know, I'm one of those but I know that I'm one of those and i've also had some evidence but anyway so i'm probably not going to be able to help you a lot if you are a scientific fundamentalist but if you're somebody who you're a non-believer and you've discounted christ because you assume that belief in god is inconsistent with science or if you are a believer and uh, you're somewhat troubled by the conventional wisdom that belief in God is inconsistent with modern science, then I believe this can be, can be very helpful to you today. So let's, let's get on here and find out what we've got. First of all, I need to say this kind of as a, as a starting point because it's, it's kind of a hot topic today. It's a hot button for a lot of people. The Bible does not actually support much less demand that we believe in a young earth, that we believe that it be six to ten thousand years old and some may be troubled by me saying that but just just go with me ride with me for just a little while it it doesn't require us to to believe that uh as late as 50 years ago the young earth theory really had no traction in christian thought whatsoever Uh, and 50 years out of 2000 is not a very long period of time for something to be in vogue something to be uh, what people thought. In the early part of the 20th century, a guy named R.A. Torrey. How many of you have ever heard of R.A. Torrey? Uh, some of you have. Uh, He's a very uh, famous conservative believer, if you would. He uh, actually was one of the three editors of a thing called The uh, uh, the Fundamentals, which was a series of, I believe, about 90 different essays on the fundamental beliefs of of Christians, and they sent them out free to all pastors and all evangelists and all missionaries that uh, that wanted them, and really, it's where the it's where the the term the idea of fundamentalism comes from was from the fundamentals. R. A. Torrey and the fundamentals both uh, were proponents of the old Earth theory rather than rather than the young Earth theory. He was also uh, for a while the superintendent of the Moody Bible Institute, not exactly one of your hotbeds of liberal uh, theology. Uh, from that period of time the 1917 Schofield Reference Bible which some of you may not know anything about this but as I look at that I have to think of my my mom really and uh, I was talking with Barbie and I knew her mom would would have one and be just the same Barbie was talking about the fact that her uh, mom's Bible was one of the things that she got and it was just a mess because of all the writing in it How worn out it was and that was her good Bible the the one that she had used a whole lot was in three pieces in a sack but you know uh, people get that Schofield reference Bible and and just mark all over it and write all over it and everything and uh, it it was a great thing but in the footnotes to Genesis 1 1 Of the Schofield reference Bible it says this the first creative act refers to the dateless past and gives scope for all of the geological ages so new earth is is a new a young earth is is a new idea in fact in terms of uh Christian leaders today you know if you if you are aware of Jack Hayford or 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 J.I. Packard or uh, Francis Schaeffer Bill Bright they're no longer with us but they're kind of they feel like contemporaries all of them Uh, believed in the old earth theory in fact the young earth theory really didn't come into vogue until 1961 with the publication of a book called the Genesis Flood and this man's name I have to uh, look it up again because I didn't read the book but his name is Henry Morris and uh, he's really considered the uh, the the father of uh, creation science and he wrote this book because he really felt like Uh, The young earth theory was needed to refute Darwinism and so uh, he was afraid of Darwinism And that was why he that's why he wrote this book y'all uncomfortable yet Okay, well good. Let's see if I can do something about that Uh, You would have thought that we would have learned our lesson back in the 16th century with Galileo Uh, How many of you know who Galileo is? Okay, very good. We're we're a quasi literate Scientifically, yeah, group of people here, yes, sir. Uh, now Galileo was uh, uh, was tried by the Roman Inquisition, and found to be found to be what was the specific wording? Let me see here. He was found to be gravely suspect of heresy, and for being gravely suspect of heresy, he was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment. And while uh, that was commuted to house arrest, he spent the rest of his life under house arrest. Do you know what the grave heresy was that he committed? Some of you do. Some of you don't. Oh, I see that hand. <laughs> the grave heresy that he committed was, he claimed that the Earth orbited around the sun instead of the sun orbiting around the Earth. Every good Christian knew that it was supposed to. So that was his heresy. But he was a Christian. He was a believer. Kepler was a believer. Copernicus was a believer. All those guys who who came up with the idea of the solar system as we now know it, they were were actually believers. We didn't have to be afraid of what they had had learned, of what they had come up with. So anyway, what do we know? Genesis one 1 through 2 most of you know this by heart in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters now the actual positioning of the hebrew verb there really means that the translation should say in the beginning god had created the heavens and the earth and if you've and if you've ever really thought about that first verse uh, And I used to as a kid I used to kind of think wait a minute The earth is formless and void and darkness Is that how we started out? Well according to the bible. Yes That is how it started out and it doesn't say How long it was? Before god came out and said here now. Let's have some light on the earth so that it can be seen verse 2 actually according to the the positioning of the hebrew verb should be now the earth was had existed formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep the spirit of god was hovering over the waters you say well why do, why do most of the english language bibles not really bring that out clearly well the king james uh translators kind of um ignored the positioning of the verb or, or Didn't give it the importance that that they felt that it should have and it became so influential. It was real hard for other following translations to bring it out Clearly some did Young's literal translation does I'm not going to put a whole bunch of them up here But even uh, even even Eugene Peterson because some of you are familiar with and like the message Makes it fairly clear first this God created the heavens and the earth all you see and all you don't see earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. It doesn't say how long he did that. What about the day thing? You know, the the evening and the morning was the first day. Evening and the morning was the second day. Actually, the word is yom. Uh, Yom. I I, I, I look at it and I want to say yom, but it's actually yom. It rhymes with dome. I have to remember that. Um, and it can, in fact, it often literally means daylight, a period of daylight, but it's also used over a hundred times in the old Testament to describe a period of indeterminate length. Nobody argues that the day of the Lord is only 24 hours long. The day of the Lord's going to be, see, my daughter knows that Uh, she, she grew up the day of the Lord's going to be a big, long period of time. And it's literally the Yom of the Lord that's being talked about there so it 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 doesn't have to be a literal 24-hour period and also there's real strong evidence i feel like uh, for beginning in verse 3 of genesis chapter 1 it actually being a poem eugene peterson tends to agree with me on that he takes verse 3 and begins to write it in poem fashion The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day. That repetition has a very poetic feel to it. That's that's how poems often do things. One of my my favorite poems is uh, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. How many of you are familiar with that poem? Yeah, it's it's so creepy. I I really like it. Uh, I wish Boris Karloff were still alive and he could read it to us. You know. And if the young people still read that point yeah. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just heard from a young person. They do. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they do. And five times at the end of the verses, it says, "Quoth the Raven, Nevermore." Yeah. And that's the way that poem rolls. A lot of the songs, a lot of the hymns that we sing. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true worth. Be thou my battle shield. We don't actually sing that verse, but the be thou, be thou, be thou. Kind of rolls there. Be still my soul. That, that song, every, every verse starts with the line, be still my soul. So there's, there's a strong poetic quality to this description in Genesis chapter 1. So what I really want to talk about today, where I really want to go with all of this, So i want to talk about a thing called intelligent design and um, it's a very misunderstood term a lot of people a lot of people uh confuse intelligent design with uh with some of the more radical concepts of uh of creationism but intelligent design really doesn't it doesn't contradict the bible it doesn't contradict anything that science has come up with uh it's it's really very intelligent actually and if you and if you see somebody if you see like if you if you were to google this and look up images you'd see a lot of cartoons of uh people ridiculing intelligent design as ridiculing uh, uh, darwinism and laws of nature and stuff like it. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't contradict any of that stuff it really doesn't uh, and intelligent design is a concept that is used frequently in a lot of sciences already today and we actually use it as well but i'll get to that in a few minutes uh for example if you were an archaeologist and you're looking at um, uh, a rock formation and you look at the one over there on your left you probably will come away with the conception that ah, that looks like wind air water Um, sunlight that was that was a natural formation you look at the one on your right and as an archaeologist you're not prone to look at that and go hmm wind air water no you might go that looks like somebody built that that looks like there was an intelligence here there's evidence that something beyond just the natural causes happen uh if you were an anthropologist um, like tony imberton I, I guess who goes wandering through the woods and finding arrowheads and things if you were an anthropologist and you were to be out in a in a deserted lonely area and you were to come across some of this stuff came across you know an arrowhead came across a piece of bo- broken pottery uh, you would probably conclude somebody's been here People have been here because there's evidence of intelligent design in this place. We can see that rocks just don't become arrowheads by themselves. Uh, Pieces of pottery don't just materialize by themselves. They're looking for evidences of intelligent design. and And from the things that they find, they can deduce things about the people who had been there. One more, we get really weird. Uh, SETI, how many of you know what SETI is? Do you all watch Star Trek? Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, uh, SETI stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And it's actually going on. I mean, it actually happens. But here's, here's here's the thing. What they're doing is they're listening for radio waves from deep space. Now, radio waves have natural fluctuations in them. And when they find these radio waves fluctuating, they, they, what they want to do is figure out, okay, is that just something that naturally happens? Or did somebody put this together? They're actually looking for intelligent design. It's the thing, that's, that's, that's the thing that they're looking for. And so in the creation of the universe, is there intelligent design? That, it's legitimate to look for that. For those of us who are believers, this is a tough question. Where did God come from? And the reason why it's a tough question is because you don't know the answer. And I don't either. Don't know. I have no idea. When I was a little kid, I used to ponder questions like that. And, and it, uh, it made me who I am today. Which is a little scary. Uh, but I ponder both ends of it. Where did, how did it all start? Where did God come from? You know, I ponder eternity, the, you know. Live forever and ever and ever and never die. And live for, it made my head hurt. You know, you don't know. But you know what? If you're not a believer, you've got just as tough a question to answer. Where did matter come from? Where did energy come from? Where did light come from? Where, where did, why is there anything? Anyway, both answers require faith if you're going to give an answer to it. But let's look at what we do know. Even science understands invisible things by its measurable impact on visible things. A lot of planets that we know are out there, we've never seen them, but we know they're out there because of, the, because of the influence that they have on the things around them that we can see, we can measure. And so archaeologists, not archaeologists, what are those people who look at the sky? Astronomers, yes, astronomers. I knew I would come up with it. Uh, astronomers can look at the sky and go you know there's got to be a planet there got to be one because I see that that moving and we do that we make those kind of inferences in our own life you know you look at uh, uh, you look at uh, two people very nicely dressed standing out in front of a group of other people in front of a pastor and taking vows to one another that they're going to promise and pledge their lives to each other you can Fairly safely infer that they might be in love Now You know, I know but you can fairly safely infer it and especially if they're giggling a lot And uh, if they're crying some that can mean one thing or another But if they're if they're giggling a lot, you know, you kind of go. Oh, yeah, I uh, uh, yeah. They feel that way. Yeah, really do you can't see love but you can infer that it's there because of what you can see Science has pretty much established A thing called a big bang theory, which is not a television show <laughs> I've never seen it, but I've seen pictures And you know, maybe it is a television show, but that's not what we're talking about here Actually, this is the big bang theory The universe arose from a singularity of virtually no size, which gave rise to the dimensions of space and time in addition to all matter and all energy. And these and these four elements, space, time, matter, and energy, as as soon as it happened, they began to separate from one another. And in the and in the very early, very earliest moments of it, tiniest fractions of a second, there was this huge expansion. All of a sudden that just the right speed because if it had been any slower it wouldn't have it would have never got out of the box so to speak if it had been any faster it would have just all run away but it was just 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 the right speed to create the universe that's what that's what scientists pretty definitely believe where did it come from well if you're an atheist the, the, latest, uh, the latest theory is the multiverse theory. And there's a reason why they have the multiverse theory, and we're going to talk about that here in just, in just a second. Uh, but just in short, the reason why they have the multiverse theory is because the possibility of all this happening by chance from that is mathematically impossible. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, And so Stephen Hawking, which some of you may know who he is, Stephen Hawking came up with this theory that there must be a multiverse out there that's spitting out universes all over the place. And that gives us a better mathematical probability of this being able to happen. Now there's no way to prove that. There is absolutely no scientific evidence for it. And there can't be because it's something outside of the universe. So it's something we can't know anything about. You may say, well, God's outside of the universe. Yes, he is, but he's also inside it. And if you're a theist, you would say, there's a creator. And some would say, well, there's no scientific evidence for that either. Uh, Yes, there is. It's a thing called intelligent design. The astronomical odds against randomness. We live in the perfect universe, and you may... Well, the word perfect is kind of one we're scared of because perfection, uh, obviously, none of us really experience it uh, in our own lives, but uh, the universe that we live in, yeah, it's, it's pretty perfect. Really, is a fi- the fine-tuning of it is just so magnificent, I, I'm not going to go into a lot of stuff, but let me, let me just give you a couple of examples. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you three examples. Uh, one, the nu- nuclear force. That exists. These are hydrogen atoms. Everybody wave, say hi to the hydrogen atoms. Y'all just waved at a picture on a screen and said hi. Uh, these are hydrogen atoms. They have one electron and, and one proton, uh, so they're just kind of hanging out. But occasionally they get together, and when they get together, they release part of their mass becomes energy, and it's a very specific amount. It's it's uh, seven tenths of one percent, and that's what makes hydrogen bombs. <laughs> Is the energy that's released when hydrogen atoms get get together like that? It's very important that it be seven tenths of one percent. If it were slightly less, if it were six tenths of one percent, then it wouldn't be possible for uh, protons and neutrons to fuse together, and the entire universe would be hydrogen. If it were eight tenths of one percent, fusion would happen so fast that all of the hydrogen would burn up and there wouldn't be any hydrogen in the universe. And hydrogen's a pretty important thing because when you get two of these guys together and they go out looking for someone to hang out with and they find an oxygen atom, they become water. Yeah, and you can't make you can't make Dr. Pepper without water. So it's very important. That we have hydrogen it's also very important that we have oxygen and and some other things here so finely tuned i I mentioned earlier the expansion of the universe not only uh, was the expansion perfect at the very beginning uh, it continues to be perfect if it if it were faster than it is like the galaxies wouldn't be able to hold together if it were slower than it is it would collapse back down on itself and and there wouldn't be any, any stars, we just kind of start all over again. But it's, it's held, it is maintained, and, and this is so cool, I like this. It is maintained at the exact perfect speed that it needs to be by something called dark energy. Which is dark because it's invisible. Can't be seen. In fact, scientists uh, claim that, that something like, I think, it's, I think it's 85, maybe it's 65. Most of the universe is made up of stuff that's invisible. Can't see it. Now, Colossians tells us what it is, but we won't won't go there today. But the speed of our universe, the speed at which it's expanding is exactly perfect. And one other thing, uh, the ratio of electrons to protons. Now, stay with me. This isn't really a science class. This is going to get to be fun here in just a minute. Electrons and protons, the ratio that exists in the universe is exactly what it needs to be. In fact, the... uh, the maximum derivation from that ratio that there could be and still allow chemical bonding so that we could have life is one part in 10 to the 37th power. In other words, if that ratio was off by even one part out of 10 to the 37th power, then we're not here. Now, 10 to the 37th power is a big number. It it looks like this. But let me, give you a, let me give you an example of, of what that number really means. If you took a dime and you put a dime on every square inch of North America, that's like from uh, the tip of Mexico up to the, the very tip top of Canada. If you put a dime on every square inch of, the, of North America and then you stacked dimes on top of each other all the way to the moon, 239,000 miles, yeah, 239,000 miles approximately. Uh, And then you did that with a billion other continents the size of North America, then you would have this number. That's big. That's, that's, That's a lot bigger than the national debt. In fact, the national debt would take one square mile of dimes stacked on top of each other two feet high. This is a huge number and if the ratio if you take one of them out we're not here add an extra one in we're not here that's how perfectly fine-tuned the universe is you may go well uh, you know we are here so i mean it is what it is it's not that no 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 it didn't have to be this way yeah, Margaret and I have been married for 36 years now, and it was just, it's just great. I mean, that's, that's the right person. God brought us together. I found her. She found me, and, 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 and we're, we're together, and that's great. And you might go, well, that's how it had to be. That's not how it had to be. There could have been a lot of other things that could have happened. A lot of stuff along the way where it came close to getting messed up perfect universe we also live on an impossible earth you would think that of all the trillions of planets out there finding one other one where we could escape to all you Trekkies I mean you know once once the Sun burns out we all got to get on a spaceship and go find another planet right or or we got to create the Battlestar Galactica or something that we can live on right uh, you would think that finding another one of these planets would not be all that difficult there's trillions of planets out there uh, you would be wrong because another one really doesn't exist mathematically doesn't exist uh, this is our neighborhood we live in the, we live in the Milky Way galaxy that big white thing in the middle that's not the Sun that's that's the where the supernovas are going off that's where stars are burst. actually uh, our address in the neighborhood is somewhere up or around out there between the spirals out there in the in the spiral arms and it's actually uh, the safest place we could possibly be in our galaxy we're far enough away from the supernovas that uh, uh, we don't catch all the bombardment uh, from that and we're also in, in just the, being in between those spiral arms is very important. Because if we were in those spiral arms, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to see anything in space for all the junk floating around. But that would be the least of our problems because of all the junk floating around would, would, uh, would crush us. And, and not only are we there, but we're, we're in a, a very special place between the spiral arms called the uh, galactic co-rotation radius and what it means is we stay there we don't drift and float through these spiral arms as most of the solar systems do in our galaxy and when you talk about what a miracle the earth is you actually have to talk about the moon because the moon is impossible moon is impossibly large it is too large for the earth to be able to capture it with its gravitational pull so what in the world is it doing there how, how did how did it get there well the best best explanation that science has been able to come up with for our incredibly large moon other than a miracle and it could be, it could have been a miracle is that a mars-sized planet crashed into the earth about four and a quarter billion years ago now it's a good thing we weren't here because i'm sure it was a startling event when it happened but now that we look back on it we have a moon we got a moon out of it which is really great but that's not the only thing that we got out of it and the way that the way that science thinks that the moon came about is when when this collision took place five billion cubic miles of the earth's crust thrown up into the atmosphere and became um uh, like like those rings around saturn became a ring around the earth which ultimately coalesced into this moon that was too large for the earth to capture any other way and it's a good thing that it happened because when that happened also there was an ejection of the majority of earth's primordial atmosphere otherwise i mean scientists believe that earth's atmosphere at the time was somewhat like venus which is 80 times more Thicker than our atmosphere. It's like living a mile under the ocean in terms of atmospheric pressure Not a good place to live but crash There it is. This is what science says we have just the right atmosphere Just the right amount of atmospheric pressure to maintain the presence of liquid and solid and gaseous water which are necessary for life and there's also the the idea that earth used to have a rotation that was so fast that there was an eight-hour day Which means that you'd really only Have to go to work for three hours, which is real cool But you'd also only get to sleep for three hours and and then you'd only have an hour to cut the grass in between (laughs) But that's the least of our problems because if it rotated that fast, you'd also have surface winds of 500 miles per hour And the idea that science puts forth is that the moon has slowed the rotation of the earth to the point where it's now a 24-hour day and we have these gentle breezes wafting through the air. <laughs> the collision is also responsible for our large, heavy, metallic core, greater than any other planet in the solar system. The core is responsible for this, for this large uh, magnetic field around the Earth called the Van, a- Van Allen Belt, and it actually protects the Earth uh, from most of the debris and, and stuff that is in space, it would either burn up or it's or it's deflected off because of the magnetic shield that is there. Uh, the only other rocky planet that we know of with such a shield is Mercury, and its shield is one percent of the strength of the Earth. And also that when this collision took place, the Earth's crust was thinned so that it's only about 4 kilometers deep instead of 30 kilometers deep like Venus. And that meant that it was able to rise above the waters rather than being submerged in a a complete water world. Now, I'm not not talking about stuff that I necessarily found out in Genesis. This is stuff that science says, okay? That's where this is coming from. Virtually all other Earth-sized planets would be water worlds. And then very quickly let me let me just mention something about Jupiter because Jupiter Jupiter's big. How many of you knew that? Okay. Jupiter is uh, has over 23 trillion square miles of surface area. The Earth has less than 2 billion. So I mean it's 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 a big place. It, it's it's a really big place. It's uh, over 10,000 times the size of the Earth. Uh has 64 moons, three rings. Don't know how many fingers it has. Uh, the day is less than 10 hours the the rotational speed of Jupiter at its uh, at its equator is over 27,000 miles per hour ours is just over a thousand miles per hour I mean they probably have high winds as well on Jupiter (laughs) Jupiter sized planets are needed to uh, protect it protects the earth really from 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 uh, uh, comet bombardment because it, it has such a strong um, uh, uh, gravitational field that it uh, it deflects things that would be coming into the habitable part of our solar system. Speaking of which, okay, you got Jupiter there. That's the big thing in the middle. You just saw the it's close up. There it is, a little further away. Uh, the blue one that's three out from the sun. Everybody know what that is? That's Earth. Okay, you see those little rings that uh, Mercury and uh, not Mercury uh, Venus and Mars have the path outside the Earth. Just inside that that area is is the habitable zone. That's where life could actually exist. Now here's the problem with Jupiter. It is where it is, where it exists in our solar system is a total mystery to scientists. Uh, Jupiter sized planets are very rare. They've only found 31 others. And because they're so large, the fact that ours is so far away from the sun is really interesting because those two large objects attract each other. Most of the Jupiters are closer. In fact, of the 31 other Jupiters they found, all 31 of them actually are in that little space between Venus and Mars, the habitable zone, meaning nothing else can be there. We call those bad Jupiters. This is a good Jupiter. We've only found one good Jupiter in the whole universe. It's ours. Let me boil this thing down real quick here. Uh, Literally speaking, the total probability, and and we've just scratched the surface of of the things that are so perfectly aligned. The total probability of Earth existing is 1 in 10 to the 99th power. Does anybody know what that number is called? it's a Google yeah yeah uh, Google it you'll, you'll find out that's what a, that's what a Google actually is uh, now there's a problem if you're Stephen Hawking or you're somebody who doesn't believe that a creator did all of this the problem is the probability of earth is 1 in 10 to the 99th power but there's only 10 to the 23rd power planets in the universe which literally means That the probability of Earth existing by chance is 1 in 10 to the 76th power. You remember how many dimes 10 to the 37th power was? This is a much bigger number than that. This This is 10 to the 76th power, and this is the probability that Earth could be here by chance. And so if it's not by chance, how did it happen? Well, I believe in the God of the Bible. And I'm gonna, I, I know the question is, well, why would he do it that way? And I'm going to tell you why I think he would do it that way here in just a minute. But let me just very briefly run through some other things that the Bible has to say about the cosmos and life that you might find interesting. The Bible claims that time had a beginning. You may go, well, everybody knows time had a beginning. No, uh-uh not necessarily. In fact, when Einstein was was working on his theory of relativity, one of the things that really bothered him was the fact that if this was true, that meant time had a beginning, which to Einstein meant there was a creator. And he was trying to find a way around that, but he couldn't and finally went, "Well, there's a creator. Yeah. Time had a beginning." The Bible tells us that. Paul says, "We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began." Before there was such a thing as time, the Bible also tells us the universe was created from the invisible. The Big Bang would call it a singularity of virtually no size. The writer of Hebrews, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The Bible tells us the creation of matter and energy has, has ended after god worked six days he blessed the seventh day and rested from all the work of creating that he had done the big bang theory would say all matter and all energy that exists is already here there's no more being created the bible tells us that earth is suspended in space Christianity, well, the, the Bible, uh, Judaism as well, wasn't really one of these religions kind of going, you know, it was flat and they were, it was sitting on turtles and, and there was this guy holding it up or anything like that. Yeah. No, uh-uh. Uh, Job, uh, the oldest book in the Bible, Job, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. The Bible tells us earth began as a water world, which is I- exactly what science would tell us at this point in time peter says they deliberately forget that long ago by god's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water where'd he find that out genesis 1. genesis 1.1 1, 1. genesis 1, 1.2 the spirit of god brooded over the face of the deep and when it comes to the when it comes to the creation when it comes to these these yoms of creation yom 1 The Bible would say the earth was a water world shrouded in darkness and the first atmosphere clearing uh, allowed light to happen. It's the first thing that happened. Science would go along with that. Yom 2. The stable water cycle is established. The continents appear through Teutonic activity. Science would say, yeah, amen. That was the next thing that happened. Moses wrote this 3,000 years ago. Yom 3, plant life appeared. First, first forms of life that would appear would be, would be plants. Science would go, yeah, uh, that, that's right. Yom 4, the atmosphere clears enough to observe the sun, the moon, the stars. You can now be seen from the earth. Science could buy that. Yom 5, sea life was next, along with birds. Science would go, yeah, that, that Darwin believes that. Yom 6, land animals appeared. Followed by mankind. Now, mankind's the special case. There's a rub there. That's where the rub is. We'll talk about that on week four when we, when we get there. But this is, this is stuff that 3,000 years ago, Moses went, this is the order in which it happened. And today, science would go, this is the order in which it happened. And they, and they line up, and you go, well, why didn't God just go, here now, let's have an earth. <laughs> Bam. And maybe he did you know if 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 that's if that's where you go with it i don't have a problem with you that's not a deal breaker for me you know god certainly could have gone earth happened you know maybe maybe it didn't take but here's why i think it might have been this way see because if i i had thought about getting like four thousand dominoes but I really was just too lazy and and didn't get it together in time. But I thought like about getting like four thousand dominoes and setting them all up here, and kind of going, okay, everybody listen. We'll we'll have a quiz at the end. If you pass the quiz, you get to see me tip the first domino, and watch all four thousand of them go. Because everybody loves to watch dominoes fall, right? I mean, and why? Because it is so cool. It just is. Where do we get that? What, what inside of us is fascinated by cool stuff? Where did that come from? Revelation 4.11 says that God created everything for his pleasure. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a... You know i'm not trying to be sexist here or anything but i'm a boy i understand the male psyche i love firecrackers when i was a little kid growing up and i just see god kind of going okay (laughs) and away we go ladies and gentlemen oh they're not here yet okay but yeah that is so cool you know, maybe grabbing an angel and say, come here, "Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here." You know, we're gonna we're gonna have people, right? Yeah, people. Okay, that's where they're gonna live. You know, the angel going, nobody can live there. He goes, "Watch this. This this is gonna be a great moment." And this and this Mars-sized planet comes into the Earth, boom, and five billion cubic. What kid wouldn't love to see that? You've got to become like a child to enter the kingdom. I'm just telling you right now. And it's going I'm gonna turn it into a moon. Watch it, look at it. Yeah, it's so great. And he's still doing it today. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And whether you, you know, whether you look at it and you do all the calculations and go, oh, there must be a God, or whether you're one of those kind of people who can just come out and look at the stars and go, oh, there must be a God. It's clearly seen. There's got to be a creator. Matt statistically, there has to be a creator. And he's still, he's still working. You know, I've I got a feeling. I can still see him today pulling an angel aside and going, hey, look at that one. See that one? Watch what I'm going to do with this one. And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, he's not pointing at Billy Graham, okay? You know, or Mother Teresa. He's, you know, he's pointing at you. And, and, and Angel goes, Oh, yeah, that one's pretty messed up. <laughs> and God's going, Yeah, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> you know, I, and, and you know, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe nothing great ever ultimately happens in your life. But God wasn't necessarily talking about what you were going to look like when you're 90, He's talking about what you're going to be. What you're going to look like. What he's going to turn, create from you. Who, who, just as you look at that soupy mess of an earth and go, how in the world could this thing possibly ever have Hawaii on it? You can look at us now and go, it's going to be something. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Would you stand with me? With those who are going to pray for people, uh, come down front. The same God who did all this the same god who could cause a virtual nothing to become the universe and go you know let's just just wait just wait a quarter of a billion years cuz there's going to be a big collision there yeah, this is the thing same god who had all that planned out and for those of you who saw uh, star of bethlehem the same god who had the stars and the moon and everything just in perfect order when his son was born and when his son died same God who did that brought you here today brought you here you're not here by chance you're not here by accident you're here because he wants to have an encounter with you he wants to do something for you you hurting he's a God of all comfort you in need he's our provider you sick he's our healer and so whatever you need you lost he came to seek and to save that which was lost The altar's open it's open and if you need prayer for anything if you need to have an encounter with him you come we're going we're to worship for a few moments we'll wait for you you come you come keep your divine appointment I believe of you know this but some of you don't know how much God loves you and you feel broken and you feel worthless and you feel unworthy and you feel incomplete oh I I just wish there was some way I could show you how much he loves you how much he cares for you raise your hand Give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who by the power of his mighty word created all things, may he give you the eyes of faith to see that which is invisible. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory ever and ever. Amen.